Welcome. You are listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's always better to hear it live, this is a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. Enjoy our latest installment. Shabbat Shalom. In their new and fabulous and profoundly important new book, Never Alone, Prison, Politics, and My People, Natan Sharansky and Gil Troy tell the story of the meeting of the two most famous political prisoners of the 20th century, Natan Sharansky and Nelson Mandela. The year was 1990, four years after Sharansky had been freed from the Soviet gulag and just a few months after Mandela had been released from prison by the South African government. A meeting was hastily arranged by Abe Foxman and Sharansky flew out to Los Angeles where the recently emancipated Mandela was being rushed from celebration to celebration and interview to interview. As the two men sat down to speak, Mandela indicated that while it was the first time the two men were meeting, he felt that he knew Sharansky. You see, a couple of years prior, while he was imprisoned on Robbins Island, the famous South African parliamentarian, Jewish parliamentarian, Helen Sussman, had given Mandela a copy of Sharansky's prison memoir, Fear No Evil. Mandela had read the book cover to cover, and the two men proceeded to compare notes on their shared experience of imprisonment, interrogations, and otherwise. Mandela remarked to Sharansky that whatever the two had in common, it was Sharansky who had suffered the most. Sharansky was confused. After all, he had only been in prison for nine years. Mandela had been in prison for 27. You suffered three times worse, Sharansky insisted. Mandela explained that while the duration of his imprisonment was indeed longer, during his time in jail, he had met regularly with his comrades to set strategy, make decisions, and relay messages to the field. He had his people with him physically in prison and in dialogue beyond a community that Sharansky did not have. Sharansky then responded to Mandela, insisting that though he was isolated in the gulag, he too, as a book title indicates, was never alone, proclaiming proudly, but my people were with me too. Despite his confinement, Sharansky maintained an abiding sense of interconnectedness with his people. His community, though imagined, was ever present in his mind throughout the years. He was a participant in the imagined struggle of an imagined global Jewish community. The thought kept him in dialogue, not only with his people, but with reality itself, restoring his self-confidence and abiding optimism. This morning, we return to the story of the first and most famous biblical Jewish inmate, Joseph. Go, 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 Joseph. The Joseph narrative, like our hero's famous coat, 
can be appreciated for all of its technicolored interpretive possibilities. Most immediately, it's a tale of fraternal strife, paternal favoritism gone awry, an absent maternal figure, and how broken familial relationships can be retrieved and repaired. A tale of tshuva, of repentance and reconciliation. So too, we would be well within our rights to focus solely on the figure of Joseph himself, his youthful dreams, his fall from grace, his rise to power, and the arc of his character development. For the literary and theological-minded, the Joseph story is a tale within a tale, a subsection of the Jacob cycle, a measure-for-measure measure intergenerational saga of blessings extended and withheld. Functionally, one could argue, the Joseph story is a very long-winded answer to a very simple question. How at the beginning of the book of Exodus, did the children of Israel find themselves enslaved in Egypt? And while all these possible reads of the Joseph story are undoubtedly correct, we do ourselves and the story a great disservice if we fail to acknowledge the feature that differentiates it from every patriarchal narrative before it, namely its location. This is a story about exile, all but a few verses taking place outside of Canaan. From Joseph being sold down into Egypt as a youth to his deathbed adjuration of his brothers that his bones be buried in the promised land. The spatial spiritual contours of these chapters reflect the push and pull of exile. In each of the four parshiot concerning Joseph, but especially in today's parsha, the children of Israel migrate back and forth between Canaan and Egypt. By this telling, as biblical scholars have suggested, the story of Joseph's forcible removal from his homeland must have resonated with the Jewish people's subsequent experience of exile. What does it mean to live disconnected and dislocated from one's people and one's ancestral home? How exactly shall a Jew negotiate the vagaries of diaspora life? The questions of the Joseph story are the questions of exile. No doubt the story of Joseph's ascent from prison to power provided spiritual succor to a people in a constant state of political and geographic dislocation, so much so some scholars contend that one can detect the fingerprints of that diaspora experience informing the writing of the story itself. But the exile of Joseph was not just about geography or political power. It was an exile with profound spiritual implications. When we first encountered Joseph in this morning's Torah reading, he had been thrown into a pit, sold into slavery and sentenced to prison. But his sense of isolation was not just physical, but psychological as well. He had been betrayed by his brothers, thought for dead by his father, slandered by his master's wife, and forgotten by the butler whose dreams he had successfully interpreted. If there was ever a person who was in a state of spiritual sequestration, it was Joseph. Trace the narrative arc, the verbal cues for Joseph's psychic loneliness are strewn throughout the text. Last week, just before Joseph's brothers pounce on him, Joseph comments, et achai anim I am looking for my brothers. 
a comment reflecting that he is emotionally lost in desperate need of familial connection. This week, years later, now as Prince of Egypt, Joseph's blessed with a son. He calls him Manasha, a name whose etymology is explained as God has caused me to forget my father's house. Next week, when Joseph's brothers stand dumbfounded in disbelief that it's actually their brother Joseph standing before them, he urges them, Geshuna Eli, come close, approach me. Again, an invitation that reflects the void in Joseph's life for connection and his heartfelt and aching desire for spiritual nearness. At times, Joseph was an indentured servant, at times a prisoner, at times a member of the Egyptian royal court, second only to Pharaoh, but whatever his station, no matter if he was alone or surrounded by others, he was nonetheless in exile from his family, his people, and to a certain degree himself. Joseph's task, no different than that of Sharansky, was how to establish and imagine community in spite of his physical and existential loneliness. The Joseph story is far more than just a well-crafted literary artifact. The Joseph story is a tale of profound spiritual significance because it relates the account of an individual who, when faced with dislocation, separation, isolation, and desolation, physical, familial, ethnic, and emotional, finds nevertheless the spiritual wherewithal to transcend and overcome the conditions of exile. And it's even more than that. The Joseph story is arguably the Ur text containing the DNA that has sustained our people throughout all our exiles and dislocations, from the lamentations we sang by the rivers of Babylon to the Kabbalistic theology of shattered vessels as expressed in the wake of the Spanish expulsion. To be a Jew is to know what the sociologist Sigmund Bauman characterized as a miasmic feeling that one should be elsewhere. From the glass we break at every Jewish wedding to the very direction in which we pray, to be a Jew is to live with a spiritual compass ever directed to Israel, both the people and the land. From Yehuda Halevi's grieving that his heart is in the east as he stood at the ends of the west, to Yehuda Amichai's appreciation of Jerusalem as a port city on the shores of eternity. The lyrical song of our people has been that of a scattered people trying to turn their gaze and spirit in a shared direction, shared devotion, and shared destiny. Not just Joseph, but the Jewish people as a whole. This has been our defining characteristic our ability to build a coherent and connected identity and imagine community even when, especially when, we are physically and spiritually separated one from the other. And friends, it's that muscle group, that secret sauce that has sustained our people since our very start, which is what we are all in desperate need of today. We are, thank God, not Joseph. We are not Sharansky. The prisons of which I speak are not literal. But we are, I would contend, by dint of the COVID pandemic, in a state of spiritual incarceration, a condition shared by all of us. 
We cannot gather together in the synagogue as we would like, greeting each other warmly. We cannot see our family members whom we love. None of us can be where we want, with whom we want, when we want. Just think about our COVID lexicon. Every entry in that glossary is about either contact or distance. You say exposure, I say quarantine. You say transmission, I say isolation. You say contagion, I say lockdown. Why am I at home today and not in the sanctuary? Because while every family member of the Cosgroves is thank goodness doing fine, someone at the school in which my wife teaches tested positive which makes her a contact, which makes me a contact of a contact, which means I'm here at home and not in the sanctuary where I belong. And the cruel paradox is, as Abdullah Shihipar explained in the New York Times some months ago, that the very thing that's required to keep us healthy, social distancing, is also the very thing that has inflicted immeasurable mental and physical damage on us all. None of us need look beyond our own doorstep to know the cost that our extended isolation from each other has taken. TikToks and memes are nice and sometimes even fun, but as long as human beings are human, we will crave human contact, the present absence of which has exacted a painful toll upon us all. For reasons both bad and good, this week marked the turning point. On the one hand, the daily rate of COVID spread hit a terrifying new high. On the other hand, we have borne witness to the administration of the long awaited vaccine. For the first time in a long time, we see a sliver of hope. And yet we all know that we must first weather a long hard winter. Our enforced diaspora has not yet run its course. We remain, each and every one of us, in exile, as did Joseph in his day, as Jews have done since time immemorial. We must, for the time being, be sustained by our imagined communities. From our condition of spiritual exile, I urge you to draw close to each other. Unlike Sharansky and Joseph, our communities, our interconnectedness, need not be imagined. Ours can be real. We have phones, we have emails, we have Zoom, we have live stream. We can reach out and invite someone for a socially distanced walk. We can make a list of people in need of a phone call and then prosecute that list with a daily sense of priority and purpose. You can call the synagogue and ask to be given a list of people who might benefit from a check-in. You can even drop someone an old-fashioned handwritten note that you are thinking of them and you hope that 2021 is better than 2020. We need to remind people that they are not alone. We need to remind ourselves that we are not alone. We have a responsibility to each other and to ourselves to nurture our relationships so that will in turn nurture us. We are straining, we are being forced to bend, but we will not be broken. Into the pit we have been thrown, we can lift each other up. Our weeping may endure for a night, but together joy cometh in the morning. We are not alone, we are never 
alone. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. See you in shul. Hallelujah.